0: Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 53, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Do you want to be made well? Is there... Something broken inside of your heart that needs wholeness, that needs wellness? Is there something physically wrong or mentally wrong or spiritually wrong? George Orwell, the famous author of 1984, said, On the whole, human beings want to be good, but not too good, and not quite all the time. They know that something is wrong, but they're not exactly sure what. And the sixth chapter of Mark has been filled with opportunities. The opportunity to know God's servant in verses 1 through 6. The opportunity to share God's word in verses 7 through 13. The opportunity to repent of sin in verses 14 through 29. The opportunity to demonstrate compassion in verses 30 through 44. The opportunity to grow in faith in verses 45 through 52. And now we're given yet another opportunity to receive the Lord's assistance. To get help. The Bible teaches that human beings are morally and spiritually diseased. We know about physical disease. We know how it robs us of our ability to work. And sometimes it will incapacitate us to life's pleasures. Humanity suffers from a moral disease. It's called sin. It is that which causes us to detach from God. It's that which causes us to rebel against God. Sin separates us from God and incapacitates our ability to know Him, have fellowship with Him, and enjoy Him. But Jesus is the great healer. Jesus is the great physician who is ever present, who requires no co payment or down payment or any payment for that matter. He's the one who can affect the spiritual cure. Kings and counselors, legislators and philosophers, moralists and priests have all tried their best to expunge this moral disease from the surface of our soul and failed. C.S. Lewis, in his winsome way, said, No clever arrangement of bad eggs will ever make a good omelette. He's right. No matter which way you scramble it, if the eggs are rotten, so will the breakfast be. The atheist Frederick Nietzsche knew something was profoundly broken. Something was incredibly wrong inside of human beings, which caused him to write, quote, Which is it? Is man one of God's blunders? Or is God one of man's? Even Oscar Wilde said, We're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. There's something broken, there's something wrong. And in this particular passage, we get a glimpse, a picture into our Savior, the servant Jesus. It begins with recognition. Look at verse 53. When they, that is the disciples, along with Jesus, had crossed over, that is they crossed over the Sea of Galilee. Remember in the earlier passage, the storm had blown and it had blown them off course. And they braved the storm and they made it to the other side of the shore. They came to the land of Genetzeret and anchored there. The region called Genetzeret is is a beautiful, fertile, lush portion of the Galilee. The word Genetzeret means the garden of riches. It was located on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. The plain is about two miles wide and it's about six miles, well, about four miles long. It's a fertile, fertile area that grows fruit and trees and citrus. It's, it's a beautiful place. On the other side of the storm, we sometimes will encounter... A garden of riches. Look at verse fifty four. It says, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. That is, they recognized Jesus. And I want to draw your attention to that phrase. The people recognized him. The verb translated recognized comes from a noun epignosco. To know it means to know by experience. In the Spanish language, there's two verbs, conocer, which means to know by experience, and saber, which means to know intellectually or to be acquainted with. And here it has the same kind of meaning. It means to know by experience. It can also mean to have a more comprehensive understanding. And so when it says when they crossed over, they came, they immediately recognized him. It is a recognition that comes from having a first-hand experience with Jesus. It would seem that these are some of the people perhaps who in Capernaum were recipients of healing. They had been recipients of the feeding of the thousands and the feeding of the multitudes. The popularity of Jesus had grown and mushroomed and expanded in the Galilee. Many people had experienced firsthand the miracle of Jesus' power. They themselves were recipients of that power. He had established himself as a powerful preacher and a powerful teacher. He had raised. The dead and cast out demons. But this issue of being able to heal sent the multitudes in a sort of first century social networking overtime. They got on their Facebook, they got on their Twitter account, they went online and they told everyone Jesus, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, the same Jesus who opened blind eyes and deaf ears and caused. The, the, the dead to come back to life. This is the Jesus who, who's here. You would think it was Black Friday at Walmart or Target. People just gather and they push and they shove in order to get close to Jesus. We sometimes find it difficult to recognize His presence. By the way, have you ever experienced Jesus? Have you yourself been a recipient of his love, of his grace, of his mercy? Have you experienced what it means to know and have a right relationship with God because you've repented of your sin and you've turned to Jesus and you've trusted Jesus? What does that mean to recognize him, to see him for who he really is? By the way, we come in contact with Jesus, our healer, through his word, through the gospel, where he shows us the way to life more abundant through faith and repentance and regeneration to all who are spiritually sick and suffering by his infinite grace. With the recognition must also come the realization of need and belief. Look at verse 55. It says, they ran through the whole surrounding region and they began to carry about on beds those who were sick or wherever they heard he was. Our text reads, ran. Through the whole surrounding region, the emphasis is on the activity that people recognize Jesus. They ran everywhere, telling family members, telling friends, telling strangers, telling anyone who is sick or afflicted that Jesus is in town. Again, it is like Black Friday. Imagine someone said, there are $10 40-inch TVs at Walmart. People who get up out, out of the seats right now and they go, they, they would run out of church. It's crazy what people will, will think. Imagine, it doesn't take a whole lot to get me. If people just say there's free chicken Chick-fil-A sandwiches, I'm there. I'm such a cheap date. The care, the intensity of those who recognize Jesus and realize that it was Jesus who could provide the satisfying solution to the problem of emptiness. They began to carry on pallets, beds, those who are sick, bring your mom, bring your dad, bring the children, bring the relatives. If people were too sick to walk, they would carry them to Jesus. If Jesus went north, they went north. If Jesus went south, they went south. William McDonald's writes, quote, The Lord was besieged with sick folks. No matter where he went, people carried needy cases to him on mats. The marketplaces became impoverished hospitals, unquote. There was a growing sense of excitement. People were knocking on doors. People were talking about the arrival of Jesus. People rushed to tell their friends. People prepared their sick for the journey to wherever Jesus might be. One of the things that you need to come to grips with that the text seems to be implying is that they didn't ignore their need. They didn't ignore their symptoms. It's one thing to be sick, and it's another thing to just pretend like it's all going to go away. The emptiness is going to go away. The darkness is going to go away. The guilt is going to go away. You know something's wrong. But you hope that no one else notices. And you certainly don't want to talk about it. William Barclay writes with insight and suggests, quote, They came to get. They came with their insistent demands. They came, to put it bluntly, to use Him. What a difference it would have made if among these crowds there had been a few who would come to give and not to get. In a way, it is natural that we should come to Jesus to get things from Him, for there are so many things that He alone can give but it's always shameful to take everything and give nothing, and yet it is very characteristic of human nature, unquote. And he's right. It is human nature to want, to have, I was listening in the news of a store at Walmart in Los Angeles. This lady shows up for Black Friday. She has pepper spray in her purse, and she starts spraying everyone around her so she can make a beeline to the electronics section to get some stupid game. Go to Walmart. Get what Walmart will give. Go to Target. Get what Target can give. But it makes perfect sense to go to Jesus to get what only Jesus can give. Only Jesus can provide forgiveness of sin. Only Jesus can provide hope. Only Jesus can fill up that dark space that's inside of you. Does the sinner dishonor or disobey God when the sinner wants to use Jesus to get what only Jesus can give? There's nothing in the text that would seem to indicate that Jesus was there reluctantly or or that he was there sadly or he was there disappointed. There's nothing, nothing in the text that would give that hint. As a matter of fact, Jesus is a servant. He doesn't feel insulted. He doesn't feel put out. The philosopher Blaise Pascal said, quote, Jesus Christ taught men the simple truth about themselves. They were selfish, enslaved to their appetites, blind, sick unhappy sinners that it was laid upon himself to deliver and enlighten and bless and heal them and that this would be brought about by hatred of self and by following him through poverty to the death of the cross unquote of course it makes perfect sense to go to Jesus for what only Jesus can give and Jesus was available and accessible and reachable To make them whole. To touch their loved ones. The people understood that there was something different about Jesus. That he really cared about the people. But it's more than just simply having a desire and a care for the people. He also has the power to do what he says he will do. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it was Jesus who said, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Luke nineteen ten, Jesus said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It makes perfect sense to go to him. If you're lost, it makes perfect sense to go to him if you're empty. It makes perfect sense to go to him if you're guilty. It makes perfect sense to go to him if you're broken. C.H. Spurgeon called the Prince of Preachers said, I have a great need for Christ. And I have a great Christ for my need. How could it be said any more simple and powerful? Powerful. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, the prophet wrote, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It's Jesus who's borne your grief and carried your sorrows. No wonder William Barclay said, quote, by a man's reaction to Jesus Christ, that man stands revealed. How do you react to him? Curiosity? Curiosity? Intrigue? Interest? Blindness? Is he ordinary or extraordinary? (laughs) Recognition of his identity. Realization of his power. Brought people to a place where they were willing to go. Where Jesus was. Martin Luther, the reformer, told his congregation, "...Christ had neither money, nor riches, nor earthly kingdom, for he gave the same to kings and princes. But he reserved one thing peculiarly to himself, which no human creature or angel could do, namely, to conquer sin and conquer death." conquer the devil, conquer hell, and in the midst of death to deliver and save those that through His Word would believe in Him, Jesus will do what only Jesus can do. It makes me wonder about the role of the church. If the church is to reflect her Master. If the church is going to be like Jesus, what should we care about? What should be our emphasis? What should be our goal? What should we do? What is the role of the church? Is it social concerns? Is it simply salvation sermons? Is it a spiritual rally center? Is the church a sacred store where you go to buy Jesus paraphernalia? Don't get me wrong. I love Jesus paraphernalia. This morning at our own resource center, I bought two Jesus freak sweatshirts. It's not false advertising if it's true. I'd love to hear Billy Graham sing the song. What will people think if they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will they do if they find out it's true? I don't really care if they know I'm a Jesus freak. There's no denying the truth. It's not wrong. If that's who you are, is the church a hospital where the sick can receive healing? Is the church supposed to be a servant church where people go not just to get, but to give? Earlier when Bob was making announcements and he was talking about the fact that we need people to serve the women and no response. We need people to serve the children and no response. We need people to help with meals ministries. Why? Because sometimes people get sick. Sometimes they're in hospital. Sometimes there's good reasons and there's bad reasons, but there's lots of reasons why sometimes it's just not possible to make a meal. In the first service, Bob said, if you're really good at cooking, and what I'm here to say is, you know what? even if you're only marginally good at cooking, but you're really good at serving. If there's something inside of you that wells up where you have this tremendous desire to give instead of get, guess what? That means we're on our way to being a servant church. And look what it says in verse 56. Request without shame or reservation for Jesus to help you. They've recognized Jesus. They realize that He has the power to help. And look what it says in verse 56. Wherever He entered, that's Jesus, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged Him that they might just touch the hem of His garment. And as many as touched Him were made well. I want to first draw your attention to that little simple word in the beginning of the verse where it says wherever he entered. The verb entered is imperfect tense, picturing a continuous activity. Here's the idea Wherever he continually entered into the village or into the city or into the country, the idea is that he constantly encountered the sick in the villages. He encountered the sick in the cities. He encountered the sick in the countries. Jesus constantly came into contact with the needy, with the broken, with the hurt, and they laid the sickets as in the marketplaces the open areas just inside the city walls by the way the marketplaces could be described as those places where people gathered or congregated for either social or economic reasons they don't congregate in the synagogues necessarily certainly they went to the temple But the implication is that Jesus went to the places where the people were. And that should cause you to ask a question about the text. You should look at the text and say, why did the people bring their sick to the marketplace? The answer is so simple, it might shock you and surprise you. It's the place where they suspected and hoped that Jesus would show up. Where do you expect Jesus to be? You might come to church and say, you know, I'm going to bring my family. I'm going to bring my friends. I'm going to invite someone to church this week because I know Jesus will be there. The preacher will talk about Jesus. He'll open up the Bible and he'll talk about Jesus. He'll talk about his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so I'm going to bring people to the place where I know that they can experience Jesus. But guess what? I'm going to suggest to you that there are people who will never, ever come to this church. And so I'm going to suggest to you that even though you may not have thought of it before, but that Jesus could very well be in the marketplace. I know it's hard to believe that you could see Jesus at Target or at Walmart. That you could see Jesus in some store. in Safeway or King Supers or wherever it is that you go, wherever it is that you socialize, wherever it is that you congregate, whether it's at home or at work or in the marketplace. But I'm going to suggest to you. That wherever you go. That you have this amazing ability if you're willing to allow it to happen. That Jesus can be present in your home. And Jesus can be present at your school. And Jesus can be present in the marketplace. Because there are sick people. There are broken people. There are hurt people. Wherever you go. And even though you may not know it. I suspect that there's someone very, very close to you who wonders whether or not Jesus is going to show up at your house or at your work or in your circumstances. And by the way, the hem of his garment or the fringe of his cloak was a reference to that blue banded fringe that would have been at the very bottom of his outward outward garment. This is the fringe that the law, the Mosaic law required all male Jews to have on the corners of the outer garment. We talked about that in Numbers chapter 15 verse 38 when we we talked about the woman who had the issue of blood. Jesus was an observant Jew, and we have every reason to believe that he would have worn the tassel on his garment. Perhaps they had heard the testimony of the woman who was healed and that God had honored her faith in the person of Jesus. There was nothing magical about his clothes. His clothes didn't have magical powers. When Jesus showed up, there was a sense of excitement at his presence. The people expected Jesus to be able to help. Is that what you expect? When you cry out to him, when you pray, do you go, Heavenly Father, I know that there is a Jesus and I know that he's real and that that God is there and that he can really help me. The people weren't about to ignore this most amazing opportunity. They showed up with a sense of excitement. They expected that Jesus would help. There's this sense of exhilaration. And look what else it says. As many as touched him were made whole. The people believed Jesus could help. The people believed Jesus would make them whole. I want to draw your attention to another sentence. Or statement in verse 56, you see where it says they laid the sick in the marketplaces and look at that expression and begged him. If you're wondering what that means, it means exactly what you think it means. It means to entreat. It means to beseech. It means to implore. It means to plead. There's a sense of urgency and insistence. And it might be difficult for some of you to even comprehend because you've been in a situation where you're not going to beg for nothing. You're not going to insist on anything. You don't know about urgency and insistence. You don't know what it means to just simply disregard personal pride. But these people are willing to set aside pride. I don't know if you've ever had a son or a daughter or a loved one, a grandma, a grandpa, someone that you loved and that you cared about and all you wanted was to see them whole and there was no shame or pride the word begged implies three essential attitudes that are necessary to be made whole the first is a profound sense of need You will never, ever, ever beg Jesus to help you or to touch you or to provide anything for you unless you come to that sense, that profound sense of emptiness and darkness and wickedness and brokenness. We sense our need. And we beg Jesus to help because we're desperate. The second attitude that seems to come through is humility. That is, the need is desperate. And here is the idea that it is beyond our resources. It is beyond human resources. And some of you will still hold on to the financial resources. And you'll hold on to the human resources. And you'll say, I haven't exhausted the mental, philosophical, experiential, Material, economic resources, I still have to look a little bit further. But for some of you, you have come to the end of the line where you've exhausted your resources. And you don't care about spectators and the curious and the skeptic and the critic. They're no longer your concern. You don't care what people do and you don't care what people think because the emptiness is so profound and the darkness so deep and the guilt so profound that you don't care what other people think. We're willing to humble ourselves. And not be guided by the unbelief of those whose opinions we treasure. And the third is a deep sense that the power of Jesus. And the love of Jesus. And the compassion of Jesus. And the willingness of Jesus. Is really all that matters. Because it's all that we need in order to be made whole. And the people begged simply to touch the hem of his garment. And I want you to note something else about the text that you might overlook, that you might want to skip over. Every person who managed to touch. Jesus was made well. Every person who managed to touch Jesus was made well. Were they made well by superstition? No. Were they made well by wishful thinking? No. Were they made well by magical powers? No. Touching Jesus brought healing. It brought healing on the inside, and it brought healing on the outside. And I want you to notice something else. Jesus didn't shrink from anyone. No matter how deformed, no matter how abnormal, no matter how dis- No matter how unattractive, no matter how dirty, no matter how immoral, no matter how sinful, he didn't separate them into the easy category and the not so easy category. He didn't come and go, Okay, you, you. uh, Oh, wait, I've now met my match in your wickedness. You know, I normally will make everybody whole, but. Wow, dude, I had no idea that there was so much garbage. But he doesn't do that. He isn't threatened or intimidated by the darkness, by the emptiness, by the guilt. It's interesting to me. You probably already realize that the Jews lived a lifestyle of kosher and cleanliness. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, if you were to divide the sick and the not so sick, you would put the Jews in the not so sick category because they did observe the law for the most part, because they observed kosher and cleanliness. That doesn't mean that they were problem free or disease free, but they were way more likely to be well than others. Yet, even they would sometimes be victims of disease. But Jesus proves equal to the task of cleansing each and every one of them. Humanity is morally diseased and spiritually dead. Does that shock you or surprise you? That Jesus loved them and saw their need and was willing to help. And anyone, I want you to note this, anyone who reached out to Him and took Him by the hand, He pulled them into His heart. You should underline it. And as many as touched Him were made well. They recognized Him. They realized who he was. And they made the request. You know, the ministry of Jesus in many ways was unique. As many as touched him. The healing wasn't selective. He didn't discriminate on the basis of liberal or conservative or sex or gender or creedal bias. But some who showed faith and determination were the ones who got healed. The person had to be willing to open their eyes and lift their hand. And in this context, there seems to be freedom from the disease that enslaved them and the promise to make them whole. What happens when you touch people? What happens when a person recognizes you and realizes that it's you? And then wonders whether or not you really are who you say that you are. Do people wind up in chains when they're around you or do they wind up being liberated? Do you serve as an example of setting people free? And making them whole? Again, I want you to understand the context. Remember what's already happened. Remember those of you who were here last week, Jesus has been in a storm. Remember, He set them in the storm and He saw them in the storm and He spoke to them in the storm and Jesus walked on the water and He has been fighting all evening and He has been up all night and He is tired and He is spent and He has spent the night delivering people in the storm. But He knows the people's And he knows their desire for a miracle. And he knows that their motives and their desire may be less than honorable. But he's motivated by compassion and concern. There are lots of reasons to neglect and ignore the thankless crowds. There's lots of reasons to just blow off the hardened disciples and the selfish sick. There's lots of reasons to go, look, if I heal them, they're just going to be sick again. If I address the issues of your marriage, if I address the issues of your finances, if I address the issues that are going on inside of your head and inside of your heart, what guarantee do I have that you're not going to blow it all away? But Jesus doesn't look into the safety and the security of the future, but rather he's willing to touch them and heal them now. Mark's gospel points people to Jesus and asks whether or not our compassion and our willingness will serve as a mirror of our savior. And when Jesus heals, the person is healed. Through and through whole. As a matter of fact, in verse in John, chapter one, verse 12, it says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the. Right to become children of God to those that believe on his name. In John six thirty seven, it says, all that the father gives me, this is Jesus speaking, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. What if I come to him and he goes, no, thanks. What if I come to him and say, you're right, there's something broken inside of me. And Jesus says, I'm so sorry, but... I can't fix what's wrong with you. The Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible says that He will fix what's inside of you. He will fix what's inside of you. And what is inside of you? Brokenness? Darkness? Guilt? What about you? Uh, how would you characterize your spiritual condition, your mental condition, your physical condition? In first John, chapter five, verse 19, the apostle John wrote, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In Romans three ten, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who seek after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Paul characterizes the heart of man and the mouth of human beings like like the poison of poisonous snakes. The prophet Isaiah pictured the people of Israel and Judah blind and deaf. In Isaiah 1.6, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. But if you can't see Him, and if you won't believe Him, and you won't make the request... The sores will remain open, and the bruises will get darker and deeper, and the pus of a life lived apart from God and rebellion to God will continue to surface. What do you suppose the distance is between man's need and God's provision? How far is the distance that you have to go to get to God and get help? For the people of Gennesaret, all they had to do was open their eyes and lift up their hand and grab hold. Are you willing to stretch forth your hand? Are you willing to open your eyes and stretch forth your hand? Or do you suffer from the paralysis of doubt? Are you unable or unwilling to lift your hand and lift your head because you don't really believe Him? You haven't recognized Him and you won't make the request People really haven't changed all that much. So many people are willing to keep their eyes closed and their fists clenched. And then all of a sudden you hear the news that Jesus has just walked by. And you hear the shouts of joy. And you hear the sounds of liberation as people speak out loud. Jesus touched me. He saved me. He changed me. Spurgeon wrote, he finds us sitting in sackcloth and ashes and bids us put on the beautiful array of freedom. He saves us just as we are and all without our help or merit. If there's any advantage at all to being sick and broken. It's that you have a great physician who's willing to make you well. Calvin Miller writes, to the hurting, he's the great physician. To the confused, he's the light. To the lost, he's the way. To the hungry, he's the bread of life. To the broken, he's the balm of Gilead. And we might even add, for the person who is fresh out of the storm, he's the garden of riches. And the person who's able... To take the diseased circumstances of your life and make it whole. Preachers like Harry Ironside used to say, Christ is a substitute for everything. But nothing is a substitute for Christ. Gypsy Smith used to shout, the way to Jesus is not by Cambridge, or Oxford, or Glasgow, or Edinburgh, or London, or Princeton, or Harvard, or Yale, or Socrates, or Plato, or Shakespeare, or the poets. It's over an old-fashioned hill called Calvary. And what will you see? Jesus. Will you recognize him when you see him there? Will you realize that he has the power to make you whole? And in humility, will you make the request? Will you simply ask him to do what you need him to do? Bow your head with me, Heavenly Father. Lord, we know that for the person in darkness who needs light and for the person who's empty and wants to be full, for the person whose heart is throbbing and whose hands are sweating because they understand the monstrosity of their life apart from God. And they want so much to be different. They've heard the shouts of joy. They've seen the people whose lives have been changed. Literally transformed. Delivered out of the storm. And when you repeatedly see blind eyes open and deaf ears open and sores of leprosy cleansed. And you see something that you thought you would never ever see dead people come back to life. You wonder whether or not such a thing is even possible. But yet, Lord, I pray that for that person, they would open up their eyes and that they would extend their hand and that they would see with the eyes of faith and that they would grasp with the hands of Confidence that a real Jesus is willing to change them from the inside out or do a work inside their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's